I'm Jeff Cranson, and this is Talking Michigan Transportation. You no doubt heard, especially if you live in Metro Detroit, that a truck carrying fuel crashed on I-75 in Oakland County Monday afternoon, igniting flames that severely damaged the highway and the median and created environmental cleanup challenges, meaning limited use of the freeway for several days. Today, I'll be speaking with Adam Wayne, an MDOT construction engineer who has been deeply involved in efforts to repair and reopen the busy freeway while coordinating with other state and local agencies. Okay, so once again, Adam, thank you for being here. I appreciate it. Of course, Jeff, my pleasure. Thank you. So let's talk a little bit um, about what you've been seeing these last few days um, as you've got a better chance to look at the, the freeway and, you know, what the pavement looks like and how bad badly it was damaged and, and what kinds of things you look for after an incident like this. Well, first and foremost, what we look for in an incident like this, of course, after the, the particular crash site has been cleared by first responders and by the hazmat team, um, we look for any defects in the pavement um, that would be an immediate hazard to the motoring public because we try to assess the damage on a priority for how we can reopen the roadway. Then we go into further detail to see how a impact such as a tank truck fire impacts the lifetime of the pavement. So we look for any type of surface defect within the vicinity of the burned area that has impacted the concrete roadway. Um, there is, you know, a little bit more of a unique condition in this stretch of I-75 where we have a specific uh, surface treatment on the roadway, what we call a high friction surface treatment. Um, this is a curved freeway with 70 mile an hour speeds. So we've placed this treatment so that motorists can have additional traction when going around these curves. What that also means is that it's more susceptible to fire damage and to the impacts that we'd see on a tank truck. So there's a, a multitude of items that we look for on the roadway itself. In addition, we had this tank truck fire immediately adjacent to our concrete barrier wall. So we're both assessing the condition of the pavement and the barrier wall as well. So a lot of people probably think, you know, I would certainly get it if it's a timber bridge and you know what the damage fire can do. What what can fire do to concrete? Is it about uh, you know melting the the rebar inside the concrete, or is it the actual you know concrete mix itself that's susceptible to the to the heat? It's the actual concrete mix itself that is susceptible to the heat. Um, when we have concrete that's placed on the roadway, we're looking at um, you know a combination of natural aggregate, so natural stone and recycled concrete um, in the roadway itself. So when you have a fire, these aggregates, stone, they have water trapped within their surface and a fire actually turns that water into steam, causing those aggregates, that stone to, to pop out and expand. That's where we see essentially potholes instantly forming because of the sheer heat of the fire. Um, when you get into a little bit of a closer look at the, the concrete surface, what we also see because of the heat damage is that, you know, your hard cement that, that's on top of the concrete, it turns into a, a soft, chalky consistency 
and almost just turns instantly into dust because of the heat. And so that, that impacts the longevity of the concrete surface itself and it impacts the ability for um, that high friction surface treatment to actually stick to the concrete versus just peel up if we were to place that directly over the damaged pavement. So that's really interesting. Um, how, what, what was the age of this pavement? This was part of a, of, of a fairly recent project, right? So this is brand new pavement. Um, I believe we placed um, northbound and southbound in 2019 and 2018. So with damage to this extent of a brand new roadway, what we're looking for is to essentially replace the complete concrete section with new concrete so that um, the replaced pavement has the same um, longevity and life as the new pavement around it. And it, I'm, I'm told that uh, we've benefited a little bit because there were still, you know, some some remaining work items on that project. So some of the uh, support that you need, I guess, in terms of replacing the concrete and stuff was still in place. Yes, with this being an active construction project, we we're able to mobilize our contractor. Essentially, the very next day, we we're able to get equipment on site to immediately begin removing the concrete barrier and then saw cutting uh, the concrete and removing that so that we can begin um, repairs immediately. So that's one of the differences that we see in a response situation like this in a construction project versus if this was an existing roadway, we'd have to try and find a contractor who's available. Um, with the circumstances that we have, we had the equipment on site, we were able to mobilize and essentially begin repairs immediately. Still, it takes some days and uh, given the volume of traffic out there and what an important artery that is, there's there's a lot of impatience and a lot of people wondering, you know, come on, the tanker fire was Monday. Why can't we get this thing opened up? So could you could you talk more about not only having to assess the damage, but what else needs to be done and your coordination with the other agencies, especially Eagle and the environmental concerns out there? Absolutely. It's, it's a significant process to try and reopen a freeway after a, a tank truck fire of this scale. Essentially, we have you know, what I would call two arms of our response. We have the roadway repair response with our contractor, and then we have the, the coordination between MDOT and EGLE on the environmental remediation portion. So that's where as we've mobilized our construction crews, to address the roadway impacts, Eagle is coordinating remediation efforts to maintain isolation on the fuel that run, ran off from the truck fire, and then also to start assessing how much of that may have impacted soil, the vegetation within the ditch lines, and what needs to be done in order to really minimize to the greatest extent possible any type of either downstream release or any type of impact to the groundwater and the ecology in the area. Do you have any sense of, and maybe this is something Eagle is still trying to assess, but how many gallons actually burned up versus how many, you know, made its way into the road and, and perhaps the waterways? Yeah, that, that, that's one of the challenging parts to assess. You know, we know some general details from the first responders and from the trucking company that this was a tank truck carrying approximately 13,000 gallons of diesel and gasoline. When first responders were able to extinguish the fire, um, we removed about 1,500 gallons 
of diesel and firefighting foam from the truck itself. So that leaves um, a certain amount unaccounted for which the environmental response group is trying to calculate, you know, how much potentially burnt off, how much may have you know, gone down into the ditch line and what we're isolating and how much we have to you know, really try and remediate. So it's a, a little bit of a work in progress to try and estimate that number. And um, Eagle's been working with the uh, environmental company to try and assess those impacts. So long term, do you feel uh, you, you'll be able to, I mean, and you have to assess that barrier wall, which we should point out, I guess, while we're talking about it, that the barrier wall, if you look at the, the video, the barrier wall seems to have done its job. Um, that's, that's a good thing. Absolutely. You know, th this is new infrastructure that we're um, constructing to, you know, the latest safety standards with our I-75 modernization projects, and especially in these high traffic and curved areas, safety is our top priority with construction. So the barrier wall did its job. Uh, when the tank truck impacted the barrier wall, it actually you know, leaned up against it before it came to a stop. And that's how we had uh, fuel that spilled over onto southbound 75. So that's why we see both northbound and southbound impacted by uh, this incident where fuel was on both sides of the roadway and burned for approximately two hours. Do you have any, is it too early to say, do you have any kind of ballpark estimate on what we might be talking about for the cost of these repairs? So our preliminary estimate is around $1.5 million for the road repairs themselves. Um, you know, of course, this is just based on you know, our initial assessment of the damage. Um, these detailed costs will be forthcoming as we progress throughout the repairs. We're monitoring, you know, the extents of our removals and what's been impacted. The costs themselves for the remediation side of this incident is being handled directly um, by Eagle and the environmental um, cleanup company. And we've talked a little bit with uh, our attorney general's division about the uh, efforts to recover costs and what we're allowed to do. And uh, the legislature actually passed a law that Governor Whitmer signed in 2019 that upped the caps on, on what could be recovered from insurance companies in these incidences. So I'll I'll include some information about that in the show notes uh, for people that are interested, because I know that's been a big question from people this week is whether or not these, these companies uh, end up having to cover some of these things by insurance. What else would you want people to know um, about your, your efforts out there and how quickly people are working and, you know, the the coordination it takes between you know a lot of different agencies that have to come together and be mindful of the environmental impact but also be mindful of you know the what's it this is costing economically in terms of delays to commercial traffic and ordinary commuters with that in mind just kind of rewinding a little bit to when the crash first take place just the the sheer amount of coordination that takes place between MDOT Troy Police and Fire Department, the first responding agency, Oakland County, um, HAZMAT crew, MDOT first responders. You know, there's a significant number of resources that are immediately deployed when an incident like this happens on an interstate route. So just with that scale of the first response, you know, absolutely the, the credit goes to the, the boots on the ground folks who are actually there ensuring that the fire is extinguished 
and that any type of discharge is really mitigated to the greatest extent possible. You know, now we're in more of a repair and remediation effort. There's still a significant amount of coordination between MDOT and our contractor, Eagle, and the cleanup crew in order that we maintain a safe work zone for both operations. And that's where we get into the mobility impact. Um, it's a significant corridor within the Metro Detroit area. We have to do these repairs safely and we have to expedite them to the greatest extent possible. So we're looking at scheduling crews to really have this opened up as soon as we safely can. Another one of the challenges that we're working with, because this is a concrete freeway, is that we also have to account for the time that it takes for the concrete itself to cure. Once we place it, it's not a material that we can immediately drive on the next day. We have to wait a minimum between seven and 14 days for that surface to achieve sufficient strength to actually put traffic on those lanes. So that's one of the factors that we're taking into our schedule when we're looking at when we can repair and reopen the stretch of roadway. Yeah, that's that's the thing that uh, it's just going to require a, a great deal of patience. And, and I understand the frustration and, and I know you and other people that work in construction certainly understand that too, because your job is to, to build it and to do whatever you can to ease mobility for everybody. I mean, you drive yourself, so you know what it's like to be inconvenienced. Oh, yes. Got to be safe. I, I noticed in my in my research that uh, there's there's been some other others of these are around the country and, uh, you know, people deal with them differently, but it's not uncommon to have delays of up to a month from the time that uh, one of these incidents happens until you can reopen all the lanes. So uh, that's just the that's just the reality, I guess. Un unfortunately, so and that's what you know, we're, we're looking at similar time frames and, you know, trying to get this work done as safely and quickly as possible. Um, but we're having to construct it part width, meaning that, you know, we can only repair, replace half of the roadway at a time because we're trying to main traffic through this corridor. So we really have to build it in stages where we remove, replace one portion of it, and then we shift traffic onto the newly replaced lanes while we can then reconstruct the remaining. Yeah. Well, thanks, Adam, for explaining that and uh, for everything you're doing out there. I appreciate it and uh, know that you and the other other agencies are trying to work as quickly as possible. Absolutely. Thank you for your time today, Jeff. Thank you again for listening to this week's edition of the Talking Michigan Transportation Podcast. I would like to thank Randy Doubler and Corey Petey for engineering this week's podcast. To subscribe to show notes and more, go to Apple Podcasts and search for Talking Michigan Transportation. 